You know, it's funny that vulnerability is a powerful thing. Uh, it seems like a paradox because the world tells us that to hide your fears, mask your weakness, cover what you don't know will bring gain and power and worth. But the reality is that the most influential people are those willing to humble themselves and express their struggles um, because it speaks to our common experience. The interview you're about to hear is with someone who is willing to admit their brokenness and express a deep-rooted hope that brings lasting change. Uh, two things that we would request. If you like what you hear, please share. Uh, we do know that tons of people are going uh, through similar circumstances um, and have that uh, common experience with the interviewee. Um, also, consider supporting Fish Food so that we can continue providing consistent content. Go to www.fishfood.me or me and click support and it will carry you to a link where you can become a patron. Thank you and enjoy the podcast. Hello folks, this is your host Corey Pelton and this is Fish Food, providing morsels of hope to a hungry world. I look up to my phone room unit with my sister asking me what we were going to do. And I was like, about what are we going to do about what? And she's like, the hurricane. <laughs> and, you know, it had shifted overnight and was headed straight for New Orleans. And so um, at that point, we started to make plans to evacuate. In this episode of Fish Food, we're talking again with Shelby Segrist. Uh, we talked with her in the last episode about the loss of her mom to cancer and the mercy of Christ in it, as well as uh, the local church surrounding her with grace. In this episode, uh, we're furthering that conversation and talking through um, Hurricane Katrina back in 2005 when it made um, landing in New Orleans, where Shelby and her husband, Hudson, were living at the time. Katrina was um, 2005. Um, made landfall August 29th, 2005. Um, so we, um, my husband and I moved to New Orleans in 2003, um, just a few months after our wedding. Um, he was in med school when we got married, and he matched um, in internal medicine at Tulane, which was a huge surprise to us. We did not expect that. Um, and so we moved off to New Orleans, where we knew no one, and um, that was that was an adventure. And oh, um, so he, he started working 100 hours a week, and I knew no one. Right, right. Um, but, uh, yeah, so... How was New um, Orleans? How was that move? Um, it was good in a lot of ways. I mean, it was fun to live there without kids. We knew pretty quickly it was not a place we wanted to raise children. Right. Um, and looking back, we wish we had, um, I guess, had more time and resources to enjoy it more or maybe understood that we should have enjoyed it more before we had children. Right, right. Um, but he was working so much and um, you know, when you're when you're a resident, um, 
you don't have a whole lot of time. <laughs> right. Or money. So, and, and how, uh, how long was his program supposed to so be? His, his program was three years. Okay. Um, so although he ended up doing an extra year as um, a chief resident, um, so which was, you know, a, a really great honor that he was asked to do that. And um, so that, but that just made us have to be there an extra year. Right. Um, but we had, we loved our church there. Um, we were members of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New Orleans, which at the time was a church plant. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Jeffrey Lancaster, um, sure. former RUF minister, was the pastor there when we moved there. And um, it was a very different kind of church than anything we were had ever been a part of before. Um, so in a lot of ways, it stretched us, um, made us think about church in a different way, um, made us think about kind of how we use our gifts in church. Um, mm. Jeffrey was really good about challenging us, and um, that was kind of really where I learned that, you know, you don't go to church to just sit in the pew and leave. Like we are to use our gifts and we are to work and serve the church. And, um, because there were, <laughs> you know, any given Sunday, there were about a hundred, 150 people there, but we only had about 20 or 30 members. And so in being a plant, the members were the ones called to do the work. And so, um, there was work to do right. and, um, being a very transient society, there was just a lot of turnover in the church. Um, so it was just really different, but it was a great community. I learned so much about community there and about um, just loving people and loving people who are different from you. And um, so it was really stretching for me, um, taking me out of my comfort zone. And so, um, right, so it was good. Right, good. Um, so yeah, but um, so yeah, so we had lived there, um, but too it was, it was kind of a a strange transition to being newly married and, um, and in the, the grief of my mom's death was very fresh. And, um, for me, I, I really don't remember a lot of the first year of living there, um, or the first year of being married, which is kind of sad. Um, but just, um, the grief over losing my mom was just, mm-hmm really fresh and um it it was just a hard a hard first year in a lot of ways um being married wasn't hard for us um but just um there was just such a big hole in my life without my mother and so that was just a lot of a lot of things to adjust to but um but yeah all in all living in new orleans was a lot of fun it was um there's a lot of good food and <laughs> you, you really could you know never eat at the same restaurant twice if you wanted to um, right right well, so, the, the, the pastor that ended up um taking jeffrey's place didn't he do the documentary um the man who the ate man new orleans yes right, yes he right. did ray canada yeah right. absolutely <laughs> that's a tough job tough job. i know but, but he somehow made it through um he might have yeah. knocked 10 years off the end of his life, but I don't know. Actually, he, he, I think he's in better shape now because he, he got rid of his car and he oh. walks everywhere or rides his bike. So, um, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, it was good. Um, we, um, so I, I got pregnant with our first child and, um, she was due in, um, 
August of 2005. And um, oh, I, wow. she was born on August 9th, 2005, after an incredibly difficult labor um, that I thought would never end, um, that ended in an emergency C-section. Um, she was not in distress, but I was. And um, so nothing about like that experience of, of giving birth to my first child um, went the way I had planned and um, I, I was really didn't handle the recovery very well um, either in the hospital or at home in those first couple of weeks it was just very very difficult I had a lot of expectations about motherhood and really even just childbirth and all the things that go along with that because of my own mother and, um, and she wasn't there to help me and so there was a lot of um, complicated emotions wrapped up in all of that of really just missing her fresh and desperately wanting her to be there to help me um thinking I was a bad mother because I didn't immediately fall in love with my child the second I laid laid eyes on her um I was I really very very quickly sank into some deep postpartum depression and uh, I was really not interested in in helping to care for our daughter um and it really took my husband just sort of getting in my face after a week or so and saying we need you i need you to get up i need you to take care of her and um so so much on your plate yeah it was really you know recovering from a surgery i didn't expect you know a long you know 36 hour labor and and then a surgery like i had the worst of both worlds and then just you know I wasn't, I had never had surgery before. So even just the physical recovery of that and just, I, I wasn't prepared for any of it. I, all I did was say over and over again, no one told me it was going to be like this. Which I hear a lot from first time moms. Um, but um, so, yeah, so it was, it was difficult. And, um, but after about two, two and a half weeks, um, I kind of, I kind of got, was left alone for the first time with her. My sister and my aunt had come to help, and Hudson then they had left, and Hudson had gone back to work, and I had two full days with her all alone. And I thought, okay, I think I can do this. I think we're gonna make it. And um, there was this hurricane out in the Gulf called Katrina, and um, we went to bed on Friday night. The I guess that was the 25th of August, and it was headed towards Florida, and um, Actually, that night, Ella didn't sleep at all. Mm. At that point, I was thinking, what is this whole sleeping like a baby thing? Because she doesn't do that. <laughs> there <laughs> is no such thing. At all. That's, that's <laughs> I mean, right. She literally didn't close her eyes at all that night. And so the next morning, I don't know what time she and I finally fell asleep. And, and Hudson left me a note saying he was going to Walmart, but we needed to talk when I woke up. And... Um, I woke up to my phone ringing, and it was my sister asking me what we were going to do. And I was like, about what are we going to do about what? And she's like, the hurricane. Wow. <laughs> and, you know, it had shifted overnight and was headed straight for New Orleans. And so um, at that point, we started to make plans to evacuate. Um, and even at that point on Saturday, the, the 26th, um, there was a lot of uncertainty still about the strength in its path but i had evacuated the year before for hurricane ivan 
And it took me 12 hours to get from New Orleans to Jackson, which should have been three hours or less. And that was with Ivan. Wow. Yeah. And so we weren't going to get stuck in traffic with a newborn. So we wanted to get out as quickly as possible. And um, so we decided to go ahead and evacuate. And really at that point thought it was, could be overkill, but we weren't going to take a chance. And, um, And so we left. We just loaded up one car with enough stuff for three days went to my sister's house in Port Gibson, Mississippi. Mm. And, um, cause that was about the closest place we could think of to go. And, um, woke up Sunday morning and looked at the news and thought, well, I think we might should have packed a few more things <laughs> oh, wow. because it was a category five, um, you know, headed straight for new Orleans and we had not brought any, important documents we had not brought any pictures um i did not bring my wedding ring or engagement ring um we had enough clothes literally for three days um we had left hudson's car i mean like we had not prepared for this um because we literally thought we are just going to be back in three days like it always works this way for every hurricane you know you leave and it's this it never hits um and so but there was nothing we could do at that point and um on Monday, so the um, the word sort of was Monday morning, you know, that New Orleans had been spared. Uh, the Mississippi Gulf Coast had been annihilated, but, you know, it had turned at the last second. And, um, you know, we, we really thought, oh, okay, we, we might have some roof damage, you know, we might have a tree down, but I think it's going to be okay. And then we lost power in Port Gibson. And so that was the last one we had. Um and um so we had a sense of relief and um then as lots of small towns um go without power it goes to water and at at that point i was done with fort gibson and so um um 80 percent of mississippi actually ended up losing power um after hurricane katrina because it was still a category one hurricane when it hit as far inland as jackson right and um my in-laws live in columbus mississippi Mm-hmm. Uh, which is further north, um, near Starkville, close to the Alabama state line. And, um, you know, cell phone coverage was super, super spotty. Hudson and I both had New Orleans cell phones, and so you really couldn't use those. Actually, at that point, we could text a little bit, but we weren't even texting at that point. And I think my brother and sister texted, but I don't think I had ever sent a text message in 2005 until that <laughs> right. hurricane happened. Right. Um, and so, but, but my sister's cell phones were working with the 601 area code. And so we were able to communicate with Hudson's parents and they found us a hotel room in Columbus that had electricity. Mm. So we got in the car on Tuesday, um, August 30th and drove up there and God was so sweet to protect us on that drive, um, we felt a little dumb later, but it was, it was still very sweet to protect us because um, we're listening to the New Orleans radio station and the drive up there. And they were talking about just the devastating flooding. And, um, you know, we were hearing about the seventh, um, the, the lower night ward and mm, yeah. um, the flooding there and the different levee breaches. And we kept talking about the 17th street canal breach and, um, you know, we knew every area that they were talking about, and we knew it wasn't our area. 
except for the 17th Street Canal. We did not know what that was. And for four hours, they talked about the 17th Street Canal and all the other flooding. They never at any point mentioned anything that would indicate where the 17th Street Canal was. Oh, wow. And it turned out that was the canal we could see from our front yard. Mm. Um, we had lived there for um, over two years and didn't know the name of it. <laughs> right, right. Um, but they never mentioned any of the streets or the area of town or the neighborhood. And so we peacefully drove for four hours to Columbus thinking again that we were fine and our, our house was fine. And we got to the hotel in Columbus and Hudson was unloading our stuff and there were, you know, Louisiana tags in the parking lot and there was this sense of camaraderie um, amongst those of, those of us without, without a state tags. And um, a man asked Hudson where we were from and he said, New Orleans. And he's like, oh, um, and, you know, Hudson asked him the same and he said he was from Chalmette and Hudson said, oh, I'm so sorry. I heard that was really bad. And he's like, yeah, it is. He asked Hudson where we were from, and he said, we live in Lakeview, and he's like, oh, man, I'm sorry. And that was the first indication wow. that Ugh. he knew that he knew of something. And so he, he didn't tell me anything until he got upstairs, and he plugged in the laptop. And we pulled up NOLA.com, and the first picture on the homepage of NOLA.com was our exit um, oh, off of I-10 in a man in a boat. Wow. And I was like, that's probably not a good sign. <laughs> and the, we clicked to the next picture, and it was um, a man in a life jacket clinging to the street sign at the corner of our street. Oh. Oh, man. And at that point, I burst into tears because I understood what that meant. Um, and my reaction um, was very swift. I, my, hus my husband and I are very different in how we react to basically everything in life but um <laughs> but um he grieved much more slowly than i did um i i can remember sitting on the bed in that hotel room and i said what more does he want from me meaning god <laughs> um he has taken my father he has taken my mother and now he's taking everything i own and um I was angry. <laughs> sure. um, and, the, and the weight of it really um, hadn't even sunk in. But I was I was very quickly angry. Um, and though I reacted quickly, um, probably the good thing about me reacting quickly is that the anger burned out quickly. <laughs> the Lord was just, you know, I could see that, that he was gracious to keep us um, from knowing the weight of the devastation until we were in, in a hotel room where we could sit there and grieve together. Mm. Um, and um, we were able to move in with Hudson's parents for three weeks. Um, and at that point, we really had no idea what was next. Um, the information coming out of New Orleans was difficult to get. Right. Um, it was super frustrating. Hudson didn't know if he had a job. Mm -hmm. Um, it, the two lane servers were down, um, all our cell towers were down, the paging system that the residents used was down. At that point, um, 
So, you know, so it's he's thinking at this point, am I supposed to go back down and work? Am I supposed right. To like we know nothing. He, um, all he knows is what we're watching on the news, which is he can watch the news and see his friends and colleagues. So the waiting system went with residents and, and all hospital staff. Um, so in, in New Orleans, they had what was called a code gray, which was the storm system, basically. And so for the residents, that meant half the residents stayed mm. for, to work the storm and half left. And Hudson, because I had had Ella in August, um, he was on a service that allowed him to leave with me. Had Katrina hit on September 1st, just a few days later, he would have been on a service that had to stay. Oh, so, man. I mean, the gratitude that I felt that I, that, that he was with me right, <laughs> and not right. in New Orleans was tremendous. I mean, just a few days and he would have had to stay. Um, and he felt that same gratitude, but a little bit of survivor's guilt as well. Sure. Because he's watching his friends and colleagues. He could see, he would see people on the news that he knew and knew well, um, you know, trying to evacuate patients out of charity hospital or, you know, being shot at um, downtown. And um, so that was a very difficult thing to watch. And, mm. you know, it's so hard to wrap our brains around here, you know, 13 years later, that they didn't have a way to communicate, right. <laughs> but like they didn't even know each other's personal email accounts. Mm. So like he didn't know any of his friends and colleagues, you know, Yahoo or Hotmail or whatever accounts. Um, and so there was literally no communication for several weeks um, as to what the plan was or if there was a plan because no one had plans for this. Um and so, I mean, there was even a point where we thought he was going to have to go work in Houston for months, and Ella and I weren't going to be able to go because there wasn't housing anymore in Houston right. for families. And there were so many different scenarios. And, um, finally, we were so grateful. His program director, um, and this was not true of all the programs, but his program director decided that the best thing to do was um, you could have a choice of where, what you wanted to do. You could either work in Houston, you could work in Shreveport, or you could work at your home medical school. And so um, we were able to move back to Jackson and Hudson worked at Genesee Medical Center for three months. Um, and we called the um, the, man, the landlord, um, his landlord um, that he'd rented from prior to us getting married, who was a member of First Baptist Church in Jackson, and said, do you have an apartment that we can rent month to month? And he said, absolutely. Wow. <laughs> and we moved into these apartments in Bellhaven. And um, <laughs> we had literally no furniture. We had literally nothing but what we had in our in my Mazda Tribute. <laughs> wow. um, but the Lord had, you know, just provided for us so much already with, with friends and family, you know, giving us money and clothes and you know, asking us what we need. And, and you know, when you, I can remember my cousin saying, what do you need? And I said, old t-shirts. Like, Wait, say, you know, say that again. Take, I kind of missed that. What was that? Old t-shirts. Oh, old t-shirts, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the things you take for granted, you know, like you don't ever think about that you need more old t-shirts. That's something you <laughs> always have, right? Right, right. <laughs> and I wanted just an old soft t-shirt. <laughs> um, <laughs> And, you know, pens and pencils and post-it notes. Like, I mean, when was the last time you had to buy those things? 
Um, you know, just things that you never think about when you're really starting over. Um, just the, the, the way, again, that the body of Christ just poured into us and, and people from all over the country. We have this blanket that is knitted from, and I have the note um, still, it's an Ella's baby book, but it was knitted from someone in either Minnesota or Wyoming, I can't remember, that was just sent to, um, you know, some sort of charity that was supposed to go to a baby that was um, displaced from Hurricane Katrina. And it was just, it's the sweetest note um, from someone who we don't even know, Um, you know, and just sweet things like that, Um, you know, of, of people just dropping meals and you know letting us borrow dishes that we didn't want to buy too many things because we were just going to have to move it back to new orleans and so we wanted to borrow as much as possible and and the lord just constantly and you really still didn't and you really still still didn't know at this point what you had right because there was like in the initial days like we knew that anything that had absorbed water was ruined (laughs) right right but we we held out hope other things we had we because um it took so long for the water to go back down um we weren't able to go salvage for a long time and just as the water had gone back down hurricane rita came through and reflooded the area about four feet Mm. and so we had to wait again um and so it was um late october before we were able to go back to salvage late october yeah and um so that's you know two months (laughs) it had been sitting there rotting wow um but even that was um there was god's timing in that because i had been um i had been nursing ella and um it had not gone well and that was one of those things those mommy things that i had to let go of um Mm and grieve something I had had wanted to do and really probably because of the stress um, of what we were going through and the stress of being a first time mom, it just didn't work. Sure, sure. <laughs> and, um, and so, but because by the time, but I, I really did try for a long time, but because that we, it was so long before we could go salvage, I was no longer nursing her. And so I was able to go, um, to the on the salvage operation which was something i really needed to do had we gone earlier i wouldn't have been able to go um and it was something i really needed for closure um it was something um i needed to do because there were particular things i was looking for and i knew exactly where to look right (laughs) um and i knew how many of them there were and those types of things and so it was important i think too for hudson and i to do it together um, so mm. even that timing was, was perfect. Um, yeah. And, so, so and, walk me through that. I mean, yeah. I, I can't imagine driving the interstate and taking the exit. I mean, what's, yeah. What's so, I mean, just the head? whole, the whole trip was just weird. You know, you're even, you know, we weren't the only ones who were just going back. I mean, you know, there were caravans of school buses, even while we were you know, driving and you know, traffic because it was really, I mean, I think. Um, you know, one of the first weekends where the general public was allowed back into the city. Um, and so it was a lot of traffic still getting back in and just 
driving through and seeing the the devastation and the destruction and the the high water lines and everything and the National Guard spray paint on everything and you know just sort of taking it all in even while we're driving into town and I had seen pictures um, from a friend who lived in our neighborhood and at her house and so and we had we knew how much water we had had about eight feet of water so we knew you know ceiling height Mm. water Mm. um and i'd seen the pictures of my friend's house when she went to salvage she had gone a week or two before us but i still wasn't you know i still couldn't really wrap i couldn't make my house look like that in my head right (laughs) right and so we pull up you know we're driving we get closer you know all the trees are dead everything's dead too Mm. um you know from sitting in toxic water for eight weeks um and then the people who lived closer or you know had you know had goats or i mean there are people who got back sooner than we did of course and so there were people who were salvaging and gutting already and there's you know trash piles everywhere on the side of the road and uh, it was a surreal scene and we pull up to our house and the, the spray paint from the national guards on the on the front door indicating you know that there were no bodies in it um mm-hmm. and of course then to drive past houses where um it was indicated that they had found a body um was was pretty <laughs> hard to wow. to picture right. um and we pull up and um the our side door into the kitchen was kicked in and we realized later it was because that's the way the national guard had gone in um because our front door was blocked mm. um the sofa had floated in front of the front door and they were able to get on that way so it was kicked in somebody had looted no it was clear that no one had looted at that somebody point. Had, somebody had just was checking in on the yes. house if it yes was there. yes right. so the national guard had kicked the door in in order to check for bodies wow because they would they were checking for bodies and animals um so but it was clear it had not been looted at that point and I can say at that point, because later when we moved back, my husband, went, we, we did go back um, to salvage a couple other things. And at one point, my husband said, don't go back there. It's very good. People have been on it. Um, mm. And so <clears throat> at that point, we didn't go back anymore. But because um, you just never knew who you going to run into. But yeah, so we were thankful that we did get in soon enough. There was still enough of a National Guard presence at that point that the looting had not happened in our neighborhood um so we we looked in you walk into the kitchen from that side door and i I really can't even describe what what went through my head it was so surreal the the ceiling had dissolved and so there was insulation all over everything and um Basically, like all the furniture was in the correct room, but like the dining room table was upside down. Hmm. Um, the refrigerator was on its side. Um, but then there were whole stacks of dishes that had floated and rested in another place that were unbroken. And so just the the strangeness of the water, because um, because it was not a flash flood. Right. We were far enough from the levee break. Um, we were about 
mm, a mile or so, mile and a half from the levee break. And so, like, the houses that were right where the levee broke were destroyed. But um, the water rose slowly enough that things stayed in, most for the most part, stayed in the correct room, which made salvaging easier. Um, but, you know, things weren't broken. They were right. just, um, so it was, it was really strange. We have some really odd pictures of, you know, like a CD case resting on top of a doorway ledge <laughs> or, <laughs> you know, the bottle of, of the, the tube of diaper cream that rested on top of the thermostat in the hallway. Um, huh. So just some really odd things that happened. But, but yeah, so we just walk in and it's just like, you really can't even make sense of it all. Um, and of course the smell was just horrible. Um, mm. But um, so there's sort of this moment of, huh, okay. And then you just turn into like, I guess adrenaline kicks in and you're just like, all right, let's get to work. <laughs> you know, it was almost this like out of body experience. Like there was no sure, sadness sure. at this point. It was like, let's do this. And, um, wow. So what are you doing? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> you, well, there were certain things that we were specifically looking for to salvage my engagement ring was right. was job number one right. it was in my jewelry box in my closet and the closet door was swollen shut um and so we had brought tools with us so we got the crowbar got that open um my jewelry box was wooden um and it had just swollen and sealed itself shut so all of my jewelry was sitting in the jewelry box <laughs> wow completely unharmed um and so that was job number one and then my mother collected hummel figures which just was of sentimental value to me and my siblings and we divided them three ways when she died and i had my brother's collection at the time because he was just not in a place in life where he needed hummel figures um and so i knew where they were and i knew um how many i had and so I dug through the muck in the living room until I found all of them. Wow. Um, a couple of them had been decapitated <laughs> <laughs> and I found their heads and um, they have been lovingly glued back together and their, imp <laughs> their imperfections don't bother me at all. Um, so, um, so yeah. And then beyond that, it was, I think those were the things that we were like, we have to get. Um, if we can, and beyond that, it's like, what else can we get? The attic stayed dry. Um, and so we wanted to get everything out of the attic. Um, a lot of things rusted and molded though, um, right. in the attic, uh, from the humidity. So we weren't able to take everything that was in the attic. Um, but we did, we were able to salvage a lot of like Christmas decorations and things like that, um, that were in the attic. Um, and we, we were able to get all of our dishes, all of our silverware, um, you know all of those types of things um so it's kind of nice you know to have a few things that were that right. go back before katrina but um you know we could basically we all of our stuff fit in a that we salvaged fit in a very very small u-haul trailer wow. when we were done wow um and you, you know, drove down with a we drove truck. down with yeah, my my father in law came with us and my brother in law and um and Hudson and I and so um we we did that and um it was dirty but you know and we did take a minute to sort of look around at all the stuff that was lost and um but you know, a lot of it too, you know, in the months and 
weeks following, you know, we get a lot of helpful <clears throat> comments like, oh, it's just stuff. Um, the important <laughs> thing is that, you know, y'all are alive and together. And, and that's true. That's well-meaning. Um, it was our stuff. Right. And um, it was our home. And there were so many nights that I would crawl in bed and cry and just say, I want to go home. <laughs> right. I'm going to sleep in my own bed. Even though I had a new bed, it didn't feel like my own bed yet. Mm. Um, I just wanted to go home and we would never be able to go there again. Um, and just that sense of homelessness um, mm. was so hard. And, um, you know, that the, you know, you work hard, to, especially with your first child, you know, after that, it's kind of like, oh, whatever. But with the first child, you work so hard on getting the newborn nursery and you have the baby showers and you get all the stuff and it was all gone. Um, the the hospital memorabilia and, the, you know, all those things. And that was all gone. Wow. And um, and and I really sort of in a lot of ways felt like my mother had died all over again because. You know, I had pieces of furniture from her house. I, I lost her Bible. I lost every letter and note she'd ever written me. Mm. Um, those things, yeah, it, yeah. I, did I care about the sofa that I didn't really like anyway? Absolutely not. Did I care about the things that I couldn't replace? Yes. Do I miss them to this day? Yes. Because yeah. um, it's pieces of our of our lives. I mean, Hudson lost. Um, an incredibly large baseball card collection. Mm. Did he care about the monetary value? Eh, maybe a little bit, but <laughs> mostly he cared about the fact that he had done this since he was a child right. um, and hoped to pass it down to his kids someday. Um, and, you know, those types of things I had being the oldest of three siblings and being the responsible one, I had all of the family photo albums from my family oh. and I lost all of our pictures, <laughs> including, you know, all of my brother and sister's baby pictures. Wow. And, wow. Um, you know, all of their baby memorabilia. And so, um, you know, it was incredibly difficult, um, to lose those things that you can't replace. Um, yeah. You know, the furniture can be replaced. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's it's the it's the things that you really can't that remind you of people. And um, mm. so that was that was the really hard part. And you know, for a long time we would we would even with little things we'd be like, where is such and such? Oh wait a minute, that was, was that before the flood or after the flood? And we still sometimes will we'll talk pre Katrina and post Katrina because it was such a um, a defining line in our, in our life and in our marriage, but um, it really was something that, you know, through the, the birth of Ella and, um, and this, it, it was sort of the first time in our marriage that we've been married two years. And um, I was like, Oh, this is what it means to be one. <laughs> right, I get it right. now, you know, like it, it really did. Um, strengthen our marriage and bring us closer together so they were um you know of course god uses all things for good and you know yeah. I, I would have been happy to have learned some of these things without losing <laughs> everything right. but there were so many so many things that i could see you know see god's hand and protection on us um and through it all but um so yeah and, and we did move back to new orleans for hudson to finish his residency and to do his Year as a chief resident, um, I kind of went back kicking and screaming 
um, at least on the inside. Right. Our church, our church looked so different. Um, we uh, had a, a new pastor come in, and we lost most of our members. We um, think we had about eight members post Katrina when we started. Um, mm. And you know, so I had I had friends who didn't come back. You know, who just right. decided that they weren't going to do that again. And you know, we we moved back and nothing was open 24 hours. I mean, it, it was the strangest thing. I mean, there were so many things that weren't open. You had to think, wait a minute, everything's closing at five. I've got to, <laughs> got to go huh. to the grocery store. And um, it's very hard to find a place to live. And Did you did you rent at this point? We did, you... rent, yeah. yes. And we were renting the first place, too. So okay. first we, okay. um, we only lost the contents. But right. um, yeah, so we, we did, the Lord did pro- pro- provide us um, an apartment. It was um ugly and um incredibly expensive it cost two thousand dollars a month um and it was right on the fringe road of the interstate and after we moved in we learned that they were about to start this like enormous um expansion project on the interstate the whole time we lived there they were doing construction including like in the middle of the night where they shine the huge floodlights right. like directly into our apartment oh, and they do the pounding with the pylons so it was um it was a trying time but wow. <laughs> we survived it wow. we had a place to live so wow and that was two that was two more years there yeah, year and a half, yeah. Okay. And then um and then we were done. <laughs> so I was um very relieved that um that uh we were able to move for Hudson's fellowship um in cardiology. He um did apply to stay at Tulane mm-hmm. um for cardiology and uh, I just couldn't I couldn't find him. But um the Lord allowed us to move. We right. moved to um, Jackson, Mississippi, right. for his fellowship, um, and lived there for four years. Wow. Okay. So, if you were, like, we've got Florence bearing down on the coast of South Carolina. If you were to give one piece of practical advice, <laughs> <laughs> what would you say now, having been through Katrina? Um. Whatever you um want to keep you better put it somewhere dry (laughs) Good. Good. um (laughs) and actually i didn't know about this tip but i've since learned it from other people that um the dishwasher is um is waterproof i mean water sealed so interesting right um, put in the dishwasher and and it's anchored you know it's not going to float out right um so you can put things in the dishwasher um and also and and if you lose power even if you don't evacuate um or if you do evacuate everything has got to come out of your refrigerator right right because it gets nasty right that's fun (laughs) so there you go okay (laughs) what piece of theological advice would you give for hurricane victims mm. something you um, learned or something that i learned yeah learned. um you know it, it would make me angry when people said it was just stuff but god says not to store up treasures on this earth mm. um and it has changed um sort of my my view of material possessions, not that I don't still struggle with it. 
right. but um, it can be taken away so fast. Mm. Um, and it is all from the Lord and we're stewards of it. We're managers of it. Mm. Um, it's not ours. Um, and so, you know, cling to what's important. Mm. Um, his word, um, make sure you evacuate with your Bible. <laughs> we, neither one of us remembered that, which we felt kind of dumb about. But, Shelby, um, we have them on our phones now. Come on. <laughs> that's true. But, you know, that like that written word that you're, you've marked up a whole bunch that's of times right. for a lot of years. Um, that's still, I, I prefer the, uh, the uh, hard copy yes, that I've yes. marked up a lot. But, um, <laughs> but yes, you do have your, you do have it on your phone. So you that, but, um, but yeah, it's, um, it, it, I mean, there's a reason God right. says to store up your treasures in heaven. Um, right. so good. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of fish food. Two things to remember, if you like what you hear, please share this with your friends. Also, consider supporting Fish Food so that we can continue providing consistent content. Simply go to www.fishfood.me or me and click support. That will take you to a link so that you can become a patron. And again, thank you for the support.